Welcome to Switching On Electrified Skills, the podcast that sparks your curiosity and ignites your passion for a career in electrification. I'm Deepak Farmer. Join me on this electrifying adventure where I connect you with industry leaders, visionary education providers, and pioneers driving the electric revolution. Discover the world of skills, jobs, and community, gaining actionable insights, inspiring stories, and the latest developments. I would like to introduce you to my guest today, Richard Lane, who is a senior academic in Coventry University. We've been working together for many years. He has a huge background in academic development and has been working with me since 2018 on various different forms around skills, trying to support uh, nascent markets with um, the skills interventions. Richard? Hello, um, it's lovely to be here. Excellent. So Richard has uh, been working with me for a long time and we've had a lot of work together around, you know, supporting skills, growing skills in anywhere that skills might be a barrier to innovation. Richard, if you take me back to, you know, when we first uh, started on this journey, you come from a very different background to myself. I come more from the business side and, you know, focus on the, more the, the innovation aspect. You come from the academic side. How have our paths ended up together? Well, it's it's quite interesting, really. And if you'd asked me five years ago where I thought I'd be now, I wouldn't have thought I'd be here working on electrification because my background is in computing, creativity and design. And the way we ended up together was working on the Institute of Coding project, which was a government project around improving digital skills for the UK. And in that project, the task we both had was to work with companies on developing digital transformation and bringing new skills to that to that market. And the, the actual role we had within that were quite different. And where you were working on business development, I was working on developing courses and CPD for businesses. And it would have seemed like we had kind of parallel journeys within that. But then as things moved on, we found out that we had a lot, we had to work a lot more closely together to be able to achieve what we needed to achieve because we found that there were problems that we didn't foresee and it wasn't quite as easy as we hoped it would be, was it? No, exactly. And I think starting off with, you know, just understanding skills themselves and why they were so important, I think it was quite a, a quick learning curve for us. And why is skills so important? What, what, what ma- why do skills matter so much to when, when you're trying to grow a market or innovation needs to be at the core of that market? Well, I think thinking about the context of the skills that are required is what's really important. So I come from a academic background teaching computing and the way we think about skills is quite different to the way industry think about skills. When you're at university it's about showing understanding and um, a broad understanding across topic areas where businesses are often not interested in that. They're looking at capability. What can that person do? And I think there was quite a bit of learning to be done from the academic side and from the university in general that we need to take a different view on skills than just to think about it the way a university does. And this is why universities struggle in these markets so much. And one of the things that we kind of discovered as part of the IOC is putting skills in context to where they're going to be used is what industry wants and it's what they demand. They, they're not interested in saying, we're going to learn about this topic in general. We want our staff to know how to do this specific thing because it's going to take us to the place we want to go to. And that's the was the big revelation within skills when we were looking at this. It was about how do we make it so the skills that we're putting out there, the products that we're creating, 
actually fit the needs of businesses because I think the conversation between academia and business wasn't really there. And that's kind of where we started working together better because we did have things in common in our backgrounds, whereas we we both ran our own business and we both kind of worked in a commercial environment. And having an understanding of you having taught as well, you could understand the problems that I was coming across and I could understand the problems that you were coming across. And that helped us find solutions better than if we'd just been working independently on this. That's a really good synergy. I mean, I think that's an important point that, you know, you had been an academic, right, uh, or are an academic, and, you know, understood all of the, you know, the integrate, uh, the integral parts of how you develop people in terms of their educational needs. But, you know, you also had been in that commercial environment, so you understood that it wasn't just a matter of, you know, going to a business and saying, right, here we go, this is what you need. It needed to be, you know, a conversation with a business to understand what their needs were. And flip side, you know, me working in the commercial environment, had been a teacher for many years, right, understood the values of what, you know, the, the skills development piece was. And that synergy was there. So we were able to work together. And what we realized was that our expectations, you can disagree with this, but we thought we were getting into something and it turned out to be something completely different. And I think the Institute of Coding, which was where we started on this, was designed to, you know, support um, skills in a digital market that was growing. But ultimately, the challenges we faced or even the challenges that were given to us weren't really the main success points that we actually achieved in the end. But we had to do a lot of learning along that way. You know, what, what in your view, was some of the biggest challenges that we faced in those early days? Well, there were so many. And I think from a personal level, there was the adjustment of the way in which we approach, approach skill development because it wasn't a case of looking, you're not looking at the student, you're looking at an institution. And to get your message across, there was also networking. There was, was working with lots of different universities, building partnerships with companies as well to try and understand what's the broader picture. And I think that was a really big part of it. We're building on that one point, right, around universities you know, this was never about one individual university, was it? It was about a national intervention, you know, where we needed to collaborate. You know, our ethos from the beginning was always, let's not make this about a central thing. You know, let's not make it about Coventry or any one individual university, but collaboratively what we could achieve. But that in itself was a challenge. What, what were your viewpoints on that? Well, the thing about academics um, is we love an argument and one of the things is trying to bring a load of academics together, trying to get a consensus out of them of the best way forward collectively for a collection of universities. So we bought a conglomerate of what was it, 25, 30 universities across the UK and trying to get a single message forward was so difficult because everyone's got their own ideas and everyone wants to hear everyone else's ideas and they want to argue their own as well. And it's, that's part of academic integrity. And it's fantastic, but it's not conducive with the way business work and that was one of the, a really big challenge and I think one of the big successes of the IOC and it continues to be as the IOC project is still very much ongoing and it's doing great work. One of the things from a from a personal level that I noticed is the I think there was almost an arrogance from the university. I don't know if that's too strong a word but about this is how you do things. A university approaches and says right well we know the best way of teaching this and this is it. And obviously, business become a little bit affronted by that and they step away from it. And I think it was something we needed to learn that 
maybe we need to think of a new way of doing this. We need to think from the start, is there a better way of approaching this? How do we go in to speak to industry with our ears open? We're not going in with a set idea of this is what we can offer you and this is all we can do for you. We go in with our ears, we go and listen. And that's what the IOC gave us a great opportunity to do for the first time because we had a board of industry professionals from huge blue chip companies. We had the Amazons, the IBMs, Microsofts in there to speak to us, as well as the SMEs that were trying to struggle with their skills development. Then we had a load of universities there all around the same table. We were able to see what the points of friction were. And those points of friction helped us understand each other's problems and helped us work out a better way forward with skills development. So whatever the skills are that we're learning, it doesn't matter. Like if your approach to dealing with that problem is wrong, you're not going to get past that first stage. And that's where we saw real problems is getting past that first stage of actually being able to understand each other's problems and and what solutions might come out of them. If we couldn't speak to speak the same language, then we were never going to find a solution. So that's for me, that was the biggest almost epiphany within this yeah, approach. At that point, we literally threw the rule book out, right, and said we need to start from scratch. Really understand, right, what it is that business need and how do we do it? And then how do we translate that for the universities and for the different um, colleges and schools in terms of interpreting that and delivering what the businesses need? And I think that there's a degree of vulnerability right there within businesses when it comes to skills you know it's a confusion what do i need now and how do i get it and then how is it the right role is it the right skills that my business needs now to achieve my strategy or my five-year plan and whether that's an sme or a medium-sized company or a large company i think they have very similar problems in that except in a larger company it just sort of amplifies you know when you're investing millions in equipment if you haven't got the right people you know to be able to drive that equipment or use it or or you know make it useful then it becomes a quite a uh, a poor investment and i think that we really quickly understood that we needed to have a different methodology i think it's probably around mid 2018 that we started to really pen down a different method of trying to approach this and i think that you know trying to support understanding that there is a vulnerability there with um, skills development and also that there is a degree of arrogance there with the way that universities work and trying to find a middle balance right that you know sort of supported that but one of those first things i want to take you back to you know one of those um, sort of first times when we started to really look into what could we do what could we put in place right that would support in giving clarity to the confusion that was sitting between industry and academia i think this was something we we discovered together in a way um and it's kind of where we sort of built our professional relationship was we were in our weekly meetings and i'd like we'd set out all our plans for the next year two years and you came in and you were like business just doesn't want to buy what we're selling we need to come up with a better solution that upset me slightly at the time because i put a lot of work in sort of developing what our original plan was but then we kind of got to sitting down and thinking right well why don't they want to buy what we're selling and why are we not solving the problems we want to solve we could hit our objectives from the government who'd given us the money there was lots of objectives that had been set that we could hit those objectives but it wasn't solving the problem and that was it annoyed both of us and we kind of connected over that as much as i kind of was annoyed about throwing away the work that I'd already done that we weren't solving the problem, that there was a lot of money being invested in solving a problem, we were not doing it in the right way. And that's when we started to talk about, okay, so 
what is it the businesses are asking for? It's just like, well, they, we need to know how do you use that technology in this business? And then we're like, right, well, which want to create online courses because they're scalable. And we thought that was the way forward because we're never going to solve this problem by just getting everyone in a classroom because there's not enough of us. But then online courses are extremely expensive to create. So that's when we started to think about, okay, so how can we create modular versions of things? So we can we can talk about a topic area and then add context to it to be able to make one online course which is reconfigurable. And that was one of the first things that we started flexibility. looking Flexibility. We yeah. started to understand that businesses needed to be flexible, wanted us to be flexible in the delivery. We didn't need to be bound by the whole, oh, you've got to release somebody to us or you know, you've got to have a, a three-month-long module or a, a year-long master's program. But smaller snippets were more based around competency so that they could, un- they could get the skills they need. But I think that going back to when we started doing this, I think the, the first time when we started, what I started noticing was every time a, a business or any small business, large business came to the universities, it would be a barrage of we can do this, we can do this, we can do this. And less questions and less trying to understand well, what's motivating the businesses. Why are the businesses wanting the skills? You know, what is it they need and how do they need it? Right. Rather than saying, well, we can do this, we can do this. So I think it was that was when I came to you. I remember in I think it was somewhere around mid 2018 where I said to you, Richard, I've got something here. There's a gap here, a huge gap that's forming, right, where we need to build something right that can support the understanding of skills and can give a business a deeper deep dive into what their current status is because if we don't know where they're starting from or what their need is or what their motivations are then how can we possibly offer them a solution right that will really feed into that acquiring that investment that's required into skills development you know let's if you, if you remember when i came back to you on that moment do you remember um, me coming to you and saying to this so what was um, the, your thoughts at that point well and this is it this is when we first started to think that maybe courses alone were not the solution and that was a real step change in our mentality towards the problem and because you you very very clearly outlined the problem and in no uncertain terms were saying that what we're doing right now is not going to work i'd already started to think along the lines of okay so how can we contextualize stuff and that was that was definitely something that was that was building traction and the thing is what we were doing were when we were in front of businesses, we were using that opportunity to listen. And like you said, other areas of the university were pushing their agenda, whereas we decided, right, we just need to listen and understand. And that's where we started to think about, okay, how can we do capability assessments? How can we understand what businesses have and what they need? And also, how can we do that without just telling them? Because the amount of people that go into businesses and say, ah, you need X, you need Y. Again, why do we know this? We've not worked in that business. We don't, we don't have the authority to tell you. So we started thinking about, right, how can we gather data and present that data to businesses so they can understand what to do? We can give them the tools to understand about how do you achieve your next steps? And that's kind of where we started our exactly. DCP tool. 
Exactly. The, the tools that we started developing or the things that we started doing to be able to give that sort of evidence-based approach to skills development rather than a sort of opinion-based, it took out a lot of that confusion in the market. But I think that one of the things that was very interesting was that when we presented data that we had um, you know, gathered, it was very insightful for the businesses and their businesses appreciated the understanding that we had achieved in such a short space of time. But one thing we've always known from the beginning is that we were never doing this for one individual business. We were doing this at scale and we needed something that could be scaled and could be you know, grown very quickly. And we used our networks and partnerships to develop that and you to, to, to say that look, we're not coming to you and saying this is a local solution. It's a solution for the country. It's a solution for larger companies who want to develop lots and lots of skills around their new initiatives that they want to grow in. Because ultimately, what does it come down to? If we've got big companies that have got the right skills who can innovate the right way, they can compete on a global level, right? And therefore, they want to be able to be, a, you know, one of the leading companies in their organization. But we, it comes down to the very one small fact that innovation, right, any sort of new development, any new research, it all comes down to people. And people are the most important thing here. And this podcast is designed to give a, a chance for those people who are looking at new career changes to be part of a conversation that we've been part of over the last five years. I would love to know, you know, in your view, beyond the DCP, what are the other things that we started to do that started putting people at the center of what we were trying to achieve rather than the universities or the businesses, but really focused on delivering clarity to the people, clarity to the um, you know, ones that are going to be doing these skills and the ones that are going to be changing careers and the ones that are going to be taking on these new innovations and you know, owning them in the, in, the, in, the, in the growing markets. Well, yeah, it's a really interesting area because just like universities, and I can only really speak to our own university, but that arrogance, for want of a better term, in the way in which you're going to deliver skills, I felt that the message I was getting from business was that there was a focus on equipment, on capital spend over skills. And it was creating a bit of a disjoint. Like we've said many times, skills are the biggest barrier to innovation. And if you don't have confidence in your skills, you're not going to have the confidence to make the steps you need to make as a business to get to the place you want to get to. And what we were finding is businesses that were going through digital transformation, and these are particularly businesses that weren't born digital, that had come from what we'd call an analog business model. They'd come from an, they'd made their money in an analog market and all of the people who were in senior positions in those businesses had come from an analog background because they are experts in their industry. But then these people are being presented with the, oh, well, we need to use IoT. What's, what's your, cloud, your cloud computing solutions like? And they're being pushed into an area where they're not qualified to make those decisions. And why should they be? Because that's not why they're in the positions they're in. They're having their IT managers and people like that who maybe don't come from a business-specific background telling them what they need to implement. But that creates an inju- um, like a disjointed friction between those two areas of a business where senior leadership team are not wanting to make decisions because they don't understand what they're committing to and they're not going to understand where these goals are going to come come to so from an innovation perspective and this is more broadly across across all skill set areas is if you don't have those skills you're not going to be confident in making decisions in those areas one of the things that we believe in is innovation 
will come from a combination of skill sets. When you add, whether it's electrification or whether it's digital skills to an existing skill set, that's where the innovation is going to come from. Transdisciplinary approach. Yeah. Right. And I think that's an important point then just to, you know, build on that. As I mentioned before, there is a vulnerability in skills. When I say vulnerability, that is that when something grows and it's new, just because historic business leaders, right, are not familiar with it, it can very quickly become a massive communication problem within an organization. Like you said, senior leaders not wanting to commit to it because they don't fully understand it, but yet some drive coming from somewhere in the organization, right, that wants to move forward. So we, we, we focused on that quite a bit, didn't we? We sort of said, well, we're not going to try to train the leaders. We're not going to try to train, you know, one of the departments or two individuals within a department. We're going to go at it and train everyone, right, and make sure we lift everyone's uh, capability so that they can communicate on all different levels. Now, whether that be in AI or IoT, or in this case, you know, electrification, power electronics, drives, machine, whatever it might be, we were going to lift everyone to a certain level. And then you'd have those individuals who would spike, right? We built that methodology right from the beginning that you could not train one or two people. Why do you think that is? What, what was the biggest impact of training one or two people in an organization? Well, it's the old analogy of the, the rising tide lifts all ships. And one of the things that we were finding is that communication around an organization was a problem because you had some people who spoke technology, some people who didn't speak technology. Those technology leaders trying to speak to the business leaders, there was no common language. Making sure that everyone in the organization had at least a base level of knowledge in a topic area meant that there was a common language across an organization that meant that there weren't brick walls being built between departments, there weren't silos of technology, there weren't silos of innovation. People were much more comfortable talking across organisation about challenges, about the new way forward, what's exciting in the business. And it meant that everyone felt like they were on the same page. And that's what's really exciting um, about the whole thing. It's about not, let's say, not being isolationist. We're not, we're not trying to say, well, you're our technology leader, so therefore you need to be the font of all knowledge around technology. Because the innovation might be coming from an engineer who's got a complete non-technology background who finds a new solution because they realize, oh, this new technology is going to allow me to do a new thing. And then them being able to speak to the IT people who then understand the technology requirements and maybe speaking to the business people who understand the business requirements. And therefore, you've got a joined up approach as a business and that makes the chances of when you pilot these new technologies and you pilot new innovations, they've got much greater chance of succeeding because everyone's on board and they're not worried about. Sometimes we found that people were worried about succeeding because they were like, well, I don't know what's going to come then. And having an excitement about not knowing what's going to come and knowing that, OK, well, we've got the equipment to be able to deal with that challenge. We've got the skills across our organization that we're going to be able to improve and to grow with these challenges that's something that all businesses need if they want to continue to grow and they continue want to be able to adapt in this ever-changing environment and right now it's changing more than ever and the changes are happening faster than ever and if you're not equipped to it then you're not going to be able to keep up with it yeah and and you bring a quite important thing there change the word change that everybody's afraid of and i think that what we did was say Forget the old change management rule book here. 
right? We're going to do it a different way. Forget about restructuring. Forget about, you know, um, you know, redundancies and all this sort of stuff. We're going to uplift everyone. And the way we're going to do change management is in a positive way. And I think that that really resonated with the people who we were changing. And we, we didn't want to change them per se. What we wanted to do was bolt on, you know, new skills onto them using their prior skills that they had already achieved. And then also, you know, supporting anybody who had gone through degree programs and giving them extra skills that they could then utilize within businesses. And I think that was really where the impact was. And that's why the businesses were so receptive to us. And speaking of that, you know, we've got, if we jump back, jump forward a few years now, right? You know, we were extremely successful. We have millions of interventions across the country, right? Well-established, you know, uh, methodologies. That's when I think we're, if we go back to the timeline in probably around 2021, when we started looking at a similar problem that was emerging in the electrification space, right? And we started looking at, you know, well, what's going on in uh, this new market that's growing? And can we apply not the, not the actual, you know, digital side of it, but all the things we had learned into a new space, right? Tell me about that journey. And when I first <laughs> randomly came to you as a computer scientist who's, you know, working within, you know, creative industries and games development and all the sort of digital space and said to you, we could do this in a completely different sector and you don't need to be an electrification specialist to be able to do it. We've got to just apply our methodology. Tell me about that moment. <laughs> okay, so... It wasn't a calm moment. Um, <laughs> I was, I think we didn't know at first that this was a problem with similarities to what we'd already been working on. You'd come to me and our colleague James and said, I've been speaking to a load of people about electrification. There's a bit of research. You're going to do it. And we were like, okay. And you were saying, oh, it's involved in PEMD. And we were like, PEM what? And we didn't know anything about this. And we completely came from a learning perspective. And we knew from the previous interventions we'd done with the IOC, we knew that we, well, in this case, we couldn't have any arrogance about this because we didn't know about the topic area. But what we did know, it was about skills. There was challenges around skills and electrification. And we und undertook some research. And we interviewed lots of people from lots of different companies, whether they're large, small businesses, and from universities and from recruiters trying to get an understanding of what is the picture and the skills map for electrification. And like I said at the start, this was not where I expected to be. But, but, you, were, but you were comfortable, right? So in the sense that you wasn't comfortable with the, the topic area, but you were very comfortable with the methodologies we had established for years before in terms of addressing a you know growing market for skills, right? And I think once you got that approach right then it was a different well different yeah way of thinking well of it. i think you say i was comfortable i became more comfortable the more work we did because the more we did the more similarities i saw from uh the way electrification was coming into the uk economy was very similar to the way digital transformation was coming through and we saw a lot of the same trends we saw a lot of the same challenges and that helped us build a confidence of of saying okay well we can see where we need to get to and we can, we understand where we are now. And it's a really very, very similar picture to what we were seeing with digital skills. We were seeing pockets of, of skills. We were also seeing sort of rare skills having huge value attached to them and having a really 
combative relationship between different organizations to be able to wrestle those skills away from each other. It wasn't a case of how can we get these get these skills across the organization, let's say across the country. It was a case of I need these skills now because from a business's perspective, this was a rapidly growing market. And those that were already in this market were having a great time. They were getting some fantastic contracts. Whereas there was these legacy organizations, which we would say compare very well to those, what I would say, analog business models in digital skills, where they're coming from an internal combustion perspective. And they're having to go through an electrification transformation where they're having to look at, okay, how do we phase out one side of our, our core industry business and bring in this new side? Whereas there was these born electric companies that were coming in and taking huge market share right from the outset. And there was a land grab for skills. And we were finding this, everyone we spoke to, there was huge, huge problems there. And as far as we could see, no one was really addressing this from a, a bottom-up perspective. Everyone was thinking of it from a short-term contract perspective, and understandably so, because they've all got their own skin in the game. They've got their own reasons to be pushing to, well, we've got this contract, so we need this skill. doesn't matter how much it costs. We'll grab them from there. And it made it so the people who did have those skills held all of the cards. There's no quick solution to this. It's a case of we need to think about what skills we need, how do we build it up, how do we build the infrastructure that these skills are going to be developed, because a lot of the skills required for electrification, we might have older engineers that are being are able to repurpose and reskill to the new implementation of electrification. And we've got a new generation coming through who are super excited about the environment like well they're not excited about the environment right now they're very worried about the environment but they're excited about the opportunities of electrification clean power and the opportunities in that area and those people they didn't have an outlet like they didn't it was very very difficult to understand what skills you needed and if you looked at universities you looked at colleges there wasn't a huge amount there that it was clear to someone who's 15, 16 years old, of if I want to go and build electric motors, what course do I go and do? Is it electrical engineering? Like, well, that's got a load of stuff that I don't need as well. I don't understand where I need to go. And that signposting seemed really, really important. Really important. And one thing that I think many don't appreciate is that in a nascent market or any market that's growing, what you, our approach of basing everything on evidence and data, where data doesn't exist, naturally in something that's just growing. Right? There's no historical data there that tells us how many engineers do you need? Do you need, you know, f 10 people that are motor designers? Do you need 200 people that are, you know, motor designing uh, experts, right? Or vibration control, whatever it might be. But the point is that we needed to do that research. So we, we set on a path, you know, we got that whole um, research piece done. We looked at a lot of the approaches. We talked with lots of businesses, right? Lots of stakeholders, DER community, Right, the driving the electric revolution community, the um, uh, National Electrification Skills Framework Forum community. We talked to so many different communities to try to understand what the needs were, and we brought the, brought all that into a piece of work that gave us a basis to start saying, "Well, this is a major problem, right? This is really serious, and if we do not address it now, you know, it's only going to get bigger because the gap just seems to get wider and wider as years go on. We'd already done analysis between 2015 and 2021, and we'd seen gaps grow. We knew that that was going to, you know, grow, if not, you know, rapidly or at the very least on a compound level. 
that then became our sort of um, basis to then start a process very similar to what we did in the IOC and say, we need to bring people together. We need to bring a community together. We need to get all the stakeholders. We knew that there was funding available, right? But we needed to really get buy-in. This is where, for example, um, our relationships became very important. Uh, our colleague uh, and uh, CEO of um, Clean to Egg is uh, Carl Perrin, brought us into a conversation with um, the DER, right, which is driving the electoral revolution challenge group from the Innovate UK. And we started to really show them, you know, what we were seeing in the market. We then started to put a plan together. Right. In terms of, you know, what, what are we going to do here? You know, what, what can we really make a tangible impact? And this is where, you know, our next steps came in. And you, do you want to talk about what, what we, we started putting together at this point and why it was so important? OK, well, I think one of the things that really helped us here is we, we gathered the data, we did the research, we'd put this research piece together. And I think we were much more alive to the problem and because we'd had that experience with the IOC, we were alive to, okay, this is a similar problem. We kind of know what we need to do here. And that gave us a real confidence. And the DER group were fantastic, um, helping us to be able to understand the things that we didn't understand because we didn't have the, what we had in digital skills with a lot of depth of experience in that, in that topic area. And we didn't have that. And it was important for us to recognize that we didn't have that as well. Um, and that we needed the guidance we needed to build a we need to build relationships in that area to help have subject expertise so we could understand the, what direction we needed to go in and what was what was the view of business with regard to the way we're going and what was the view of university much like we did with the uh, the IOC we needed to start building the conglomerate and we were able to kind of lean on our um, our network that we'd created through the IOC and that gave us a bit of a head start, didn't it? And it we, did, yep. And we were able to kind of work with similar partners and we were able to build. And because of... Who us, understood the problem like we did. Well, exactly. And they understood we'd tackled this solution. We created this solution in the digital space and they saw the same problem in the electrification space and they came on that journey with us. And that's been... It gave us huge momentum right from the start. Because we started then thinking, okay, what is the solution? If we were going to try and build something to create a solution to this, what would it be? Because it's not quite the same in some ways. It, because in the digital side of things, there was a lot more people already in that space. And it was often a case of trying to find, just putting the right people in the right place. Whereas in electrification, it's a bit more, it needs to be built from the ground up. Because people have been known for the last 25, 30 years that digital skills are coming and how important they're going to be. And I know from the start of my academic career, when I was even an undergraduate, it was kind of like, oh, you better make sure you understand all the digital skills because that's where the world's going. But it's been more of a last 10, 15 years thing for electrification. It probably hasn't had the same buildup. And therefore, and it's also not quite such a clear pathway to what skills do you need to learn? Like what is going to be helpful? Exactly. Uh, it's, it's, it's about bringing that clarity. We knew that. And I think that when we started developing the concept right around the early stages of the Electric Revolution Skills Hub, we knew that we all the learnings that we had done over the last five years were all going to be integrated into, you know, um, the hub, but also in terms of how we develop the network, how we work collaboratively, the ethos about we need to, you know, reach out and give opportunities for different represented groups 
right? Whether it be for, you know, the EDI stuff around, you know, reaching out and making opportunities where there are less opportunities and uh, um, we could be, you know, really helping bring more. Because this wasn't about just upskilling people. It was also about bringing opportunity from other communities into this space because it is going to be a huge uh, growth over the next 10 years, especially because of the whole, um, you know, net carbon zero agenda and all this sort of stuff around green technologies. Once we had got this to a place where we knew what we wanted to do, I remember, you know, you know, hashing out a, a quick PowerPoint and, and, you know, and saying, this is roughly what I think the hub should look like and coming to you guys and say, do you think this will work? And we sat there and we worked it out to a much more thicker and more clearer proposal. And then the next step, you know, and actually we have to thank, you know, the Coventry University as well um, and the DER team. Uh, so the Driving the Electric Revolution team, uh, you know, Ven Chesterson, who's from there. And then, you know, Paul Noon, you know, the pro-vice-chancellor at Coventry University and, and Paul Fairburn, the innovation uh, director, all supporting what we have, were saying, uh, including Carl Perrin. Right. And working together and saying, you know, you know what, the university is going to commit to this, but not for the university, but because it, people matter. And because the national picture is that we need to be supporting the entire country with electrification. I mean, getting a, a you know huge investment from Coventry University, a huge investment from government, right, in Innovate UK, bringing it together and really sort of um, laying the foundations, right, of what we were going to do, right, not just build a platform, right, but actually build a community, build a, a backing across the country and a collective approach, right, to really deep diving and having an impact right on the skills that are required for businesses today and tomorrow was a huge part of what we you know have achieved to now that journey hasn't been easy you know i can say it all in two minutes and it's a, you know oh yeah it's we did all of this stuff but some just talk around you know our journey between getting the investment and then actually launching out the, the hub it will be really interesting to see you know some of the things that we came across and what we really put our efforts into and why they were so important Okay, so the, it was a really intense year. And I think it's definitely worth mentioning the credit to the people that backed us because they believed in us right from the outset and they knew that we were going, we could take this in the, in the right direction. And I think one of the things that's worth adding to just on the kind of development of the hub was the other problem that we came across from the research. And this has been an absolute integral part of the hub is that different people within the industry use different language and just like we talked about with digital skills about creating a common language and how important that was to be able to have the conversation to be able to make progress and to be able to innovate we found that different organizations had different names for difference for the same skill sets within within electrification if you did one job at one company the requiring a certain set of skills so maybe a job in another company requiring the exact same set of skills but they've got a different name and to get around this, companies were just saying five years experience. And that meant that there was no entry point. It was very, very difficult to find a way in. So by that point, you know, there was nobody who was taking ownership, was there? Right. We could not find anybody taking ownership in the country to say these are the skills you need and that's how you get them. And even right? that's what they're called. And that's what they're called. There were snippets of it. Some stuff in you know around the um, the battery segments, or mainly focused on automotive. But this wasn't just about that; it was about every sector, 
right? It was about rail, it was about freight, it was about aerospace, it was about all the different types of skills, whether they were um, how the power was being generated or, you know, the power electronics, drives, machines, the whole system, right? Energy infrastructure, it was about the lot. And, and we understood that and we wanted to make sure that the clarity was given. But there wasn't anybody that was taking any ownership of that at that point, was there? And there still isn't really, right? What do you, what do you say about that? Okay. What, why, why do you think that is? Why do you think other than ourselves really trying to push on building frameworks and trying to give clarity to individuals and businesses? Was there such little support in or ownership of that space? Well, I think... If there's any area that you're trying to try and build a broad consensus across an industry or across a large group of people, there's always going to be dissent, isn't there? There's going to be people that disagree with you. And this is one of the big challenges about building what we just said, a body of knowledge is required. Someone needs to actually build a body of knowledge of what all of the skills are in this area, what they're called, what competencies are underneath these. And it's not an easy solution and it's hugely time-consuming, and there's no guarantee that the industry will accept it. What was the incentive for anyone to do it? The only incentive is if you're looking at the big, broad picture of the whole skills and employability across electrification, if you want to unpick the bones out of, out of all of that, then you need to have that common language, and you need to have a common consensus. So if there's a job role, what skills does it require? If there's a course, what skills do you gain? How do you build a connection between those things? And so when we were building this, one of the challenges we were thinking about is, okay, how do we link all of this stuff together? Um, and how do we make it so there is a pathway for someone wanting to change from internal combustion as an engineer, or that they're a student looking to start out? How do I understand what skills I need to do X role and there was no nothing out there nothing out there at all to help that and of course not because the industry it's a stu it's a stupidly fast-paced business it's really fast-paced there's lots of contracts available lots of growth to be had and they were trying to move to they're trying to move to meet the market they don't care necessarily in the short term about what the overall employability market looks like in that area what they're looking to do is solve their problems so it it needs someone that is third party to oversee this. And in doing that, you need to build a consensus across the board. So it needs another consortium of people to build this together so that it's accepted across an industry. And, and, and you know, when you say how broad these connections are, right, and bringing them together, because it wasn't no easy thing that we had to do. But, you know, integral part of it was the businesses we were working with and the, the industry advisory board, you know, James Widmer, who Advanced Machines, right, the CEO of Advanced Machines, was an integral part of supporting the network development, right, and really putting that business perspective forward. Because we then turned around and were able to work with the understanding that industry was driving this and their need. But ultimately, what are, they, what, what, what are the motivations here? We've got businesses who are trying to grow, right? And to grow, you need investment. Now, investment can come in many forms, right? But investment requires a return. Right. So why, you know, were skills such an important part of growing business? And why does why do skills matter so much to the drive for innovation, the drive for building an ecosystem, right, of growth? Well, okay, and I think this is one of those areas where businesses are waking up to skills. 
Whereas it was something that was seen that you can always go and acquire the skills you need. You can go out to market and find them. But if the market just doesn't have the skills available, then that creates business challenges. It creates direct business challenges that they need to overcome. So in electrification particularly, businesses are waking up to the fact that there just isn't the availability of skills out there. And therefore, initiatives like the Electric Revolution Skills Hub are something that businesses are seeing. And the amount of, let's say, positive interest we've had right from the very outset from SMEs to large corporate companies has been huge because everyone's waking up to the fact that, well, the ecosystem's not there. And we're, we feel we're trying to solve the problem in the correct way. We're not trying to find a quick fix solution. We're trying to build the foundations of a sustainable industry. And as a third party, we can be looked on as bit, a bit more impartial in this, in this. And that's really helped us, I think, to build traction in this area and allowed businesses to really come on board. And, that's be, and the amount of courses and the amount of jobs that are on the hub already is an absolute testament to that. And, so, and and based on data, we always yeah. focus on the data, right? And what we're seeing in terms of evidence rather than opinion. But I would say, right, that, you know, when it comes back to it, if we bring it back to the people again, right, it's about, we're not saying that there aren't enough people. Right? We're saying there's not enough skills. There's plenty of people. And they all want to be part of this ecosystem. Then they see the wind turbines, they see electric cars, and they're thinking, well, how do I get? How do I be part of that? If I'm an engineer that's been working on a combustion engine, how do I become part of um, you know the electrification space? Right? Am I even going to be needed? Right? As a combustion engine person or someone that's been working you know within this space for 20, 30 years, how do I become part of that community? And I think it all comes back to those people. And I think that the most important part there is that when you know that you've got the people, and you know on the other side that you've got potential training providers and skills it's about connecting them but connecting them with a simple form a user-friendly way with clarity and for that right is what we started to really embark bringing that connection between you know um, academia and industry and being clear to the people what is it that you need to do to be part of this community or how can you have fruitful careers in this space right that will bring that will contribute to the economy and the growth of the future um, electrification and greener space, right? And I think, you know, bringing this to um, all the work that we're doing will continue and I think it will have huge impacts. But in your view, right, what excites you most over the next five years or so? You know, what, what, what would you like to see happen? Okay, so one of the interesting things, I think, on the point you made there um, is there's a huge amount of political and environmental capital within this there's a momentum that's building in that in that area but the direction in which that's going has not been really that clear i think it's kind of everyone's excited about this everyone's interested everyone wants to get involved but what in what direction how do i focus that energy and i think what we've done is we've kind of created a focus a direction and that's really exciting and then if i'm thinking about the future here what I would love is for the ERS hub to really be that central point of skills and development for the electrification sector. That we really that people really look to this as being this is where the body of knowledge sits. 
this is where the best jobs are. This is where I need to go if I want to develop my skills. Whoever I am, at whatever point in my career I'm in, this is the place to go. And it's what we're starting to see already. We've only been going six months or so. And what I'd really like to see is that that continue to grow and it just to become that natural rallying point. And that's what I really, really want to see. And it would be fantastic to be able to kind of look back at where we've come from and then see it being that central point and then even expanding it further, bringing in new skills, bringing in batteries, bringing in other areas as well. Yeah, and this is it because it's about the future of propulsion. It's about the future of technology and other elements are going to be brought into it as well and it's going to continue to grow. And I'm really excited about where it can go and the challenges that that will bring us. I think that's a really exciting future. And, you know, and thank you for, you know, um, joining me today. And I think there's such an important part of what we're trying to do. But it's nice to speak to the people that are at the forefront of doing this stuff, you know, you know, doing the, the work, trying to actually make a difference because we can see that, you know, the work that you're, you're doing is so important to the, the future of this space. And if you're not doing it right, then not only have you got years of experience that you're putting towards this, but if you're not doing it, then who would do it, right? If, you, if, if we don't trust the people who have, you know, f- so much experience and skills, right, and, and, and delivering it to the market, then who takes ownership of that? And the fact that you're taking it, I think is a brilliant thing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining me on this electrifying episode of Switching On Electrified Skills Podcast. Together, we'll shape a future that is powered by electricity. If you would like to learn more about electrification and explore courses and jobs, please visit ershub.co.uk or connect with us via social media channel. Thank you once again for joining me today. Until next time, keep charging ahead and unleash the full potential of your electrifying skills.